Good morning. Everybody all right today? Really, really glad uh, to see you here this morning. We're, we're continuing our series on the book of James that we've been in for the last several weeks. And we've got still several weeks to go. And I hope that as we've been going through this, that we've been challenging you to do this. And, and I hope you've taken the, the opportunity and you've read through the book of James at least once. Um, if, if you haven't, I'll just remind you again, in my Bible, it's about three pages. So it's not a, not a really long read. It's not like you've got to sit down and, you know, get you a big bag of Cheetos and you're going to be there a while. This is, this is a, a, a short read, but it's extremely powerful and extremely pointed. And it seems like that James, is, it, when I read it, it just seems like I'm reading this passage and I'm like, ah, oh, man, that's all about me. And then I read to the next passage and I'm thinking maybe this will be about somebody else. And I'm like, oh, no, that gets me too. And it just seems like there's so much practical stuff in the book of James to where if you read it, you're going to find something, unless you're just delusional, you're going to find something in there where you say, yeah, I, I need to think about that. That's something I need to be aware of. That's something I need to work on. And so, so that's why I've been so excited to, to be able to go through this passage, uh, this, this book of the Bible in our life groups, and then on Sunday mornings as well. Donnie, Donnie preached last week on a passage, and, and uh, Blake will be preaching in a couple of weeks. And uh, just to be able to go through this stuff with you together as a congregation and know that God cares about how we live and, and, and what we do here matters, what we do here is important, and it, and it and it echoes through eternity what we do here. And so, so as we talk about something today, I just, uh, you know, just keep that in your mind as, as, as you read it. Don't be thinking about, yeah, my wife really needs to hear that, you know, or, or the guy that I work for, he needs to hear that. Be thinking about yourself and just ask God, God, what are you wanting to say to me through this? And Because uh, that, that's, what, that's what I've been doing, and it, it's been extremely, um, I, I wanted to say good, but it, I mean, it has been good, but it, it's, uh, it's hard to say that's good because sometimes I see parts of myself and I'm like, oh, I don't like too much what I see. It's been extremely practical and extremely needed in my life. How about, how about I'll put it like that? Um, today, we're going to be talking about a passage from James chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open to James 2. And if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. Um, there's a, there's a, a position in our society that uh, we give a lot of uh, honor to. And, and these people are very important folks, and, and they have a very difficult job. And the position, the job that I'm talking about is the job of judge. And um, you probably know some famous judges. I've got some pictures of some famous judges uh, right here. Do anybody know who that is? It's Judge Wapner of the People's Court. Don't take the law into your own hands. Take them to court. If it, you, know, if you grew up when I did, every afternoon I'd come home from school and watch Judge Wapner. And uh, then we've got another one here. This is Judge Judy, and I tell you what, when I watch Judge Judy show, I just thank God that I'm not her husband. Could you, that woman knows everything. I cannot be, I cannot imagine being married to her. And then one final judge we have here, that is Judge Reinhold um, from the great movie Beverly Hills Cop. You also might remember him from the Seinfeld episode as the close talker, and uh, that's a little bit different kind of judge, but uh but we have judges, uh, in, have judges in, in, in America, and we, and we give them special honor. Now, I, w- I would show you a picture of another judge, but you don't need a picture of this judge because, because you're looking at him. See, oftentimes I play act that I'm a judge. Now, I don't 
put on black robes and like make my family rise when I walk in the room and carry a gavel around with me. I'm not a psycho. But, but I, I do act like a judge a lot of times in my life. And it, and it happens so naturally and sometimes I don't even realize I'm doing it. Sometimes I'll do something and, and, and maybe I'll, I'll go to Ingalls or I'll go to Target and before I get out of the car, I'll see someone walking out of the store and I will look at them and I'll see they're coming my way and then I'll look at the cars around me and I'll pick out which car they're going to get in by the way they look. Oh, she looks real stuck up. I bet she's getting that Mercedes right there. She thinks she's got a lot of money, you know. Or there'll be a dude coming out and he looks rough like his stuff came off the, the last rack at Goodwill that they barely didn't even put out, you know, and I'm looking at, oh, he's getting in that rusted out Dodge Neon that's missing three hubcaps, you know. And, that, and I'll, I'll do that, find myself doing that. Or, or maybe I'll, I'll look at people and I'll, I'll meet them or, or see someone be, be walking through the store and I'll hear someone and the way they're treating their child and I'll make an immediate judgment about who they are as a parent and, and, what's, and I have no idea what's going on in their life. I have no idea what their circumstances are, what they've been through, and what would make them act like that. And, and, I, and I would guess today that if, if we're all honest here, that I'm not the only one in this room that, that acts like a judge. And I would think maybe that you would think to yourself and think, you know what, I, I do that as well. And if you don't, I want, to, I want to get to know you and learn how to be more like you. Because we, we seem to all do it. And, and, and like I said, it, it does come very naturally. I mean, we judge, we judge people based on, based on physical appearance, based on how they dress, based on their, their weight. We, we, judge, we judge whole schools. I, I've heard, you know, one of the things of living in this area for 18 years, I've lived here now, and, and it's amazing to hear the judgment that people whose kids go to one high school talk about the kids that go to another high school, and it just, it blows my mind. And I'm not talking about the kids. Kids are dumb. Sorry, teenagers. But, but you're going to get there, though. I mean, you're, you're getting there. But, you know, kids, kids are, they do that stuff. I'm talking about the adults who should know better. And we just judge, we judge people on what school they go to. We judge whole churches. Oh, well, they go to that church. You know, that pastor does this. And, you know, the only reason they got a big crowd is because they water down the gospel and don't really teach the Bible. Or, or that church, they're dying. They got nothing going on over there. And we just, we judge, we, we do it all the time. And I, we're going to read a, a passage of Scripture today where James talks about how this was going on in the church at the time when he was writing this letter. And it's some pretty... Serious words to those of us who act like a judge. And so let, let me start with, with James chapter 2. I'm going to read uh, the first four verses to start off with. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? First thing, if you're taking notes today that I want you to write down is this. There's no room for a judge in the church of Jesus. There's no room for a judge 
in the church of Jesus. See, what was, what was going on then that was such a tragedy that, that, that had James so aggravated is that people were, during that time, they were, they were allowing folks to come into church and, and they, were, they would look at them and based on how they looked, based on how they dressed, they would give them different seats and they would, they would do all this kind of stuff and, and they would treat people that they thought were rich differently. And here's why that was such a tragedy is because that is exactly the way the rest of society treated folks who were rich and treated folks who were poor in that time. And James was saying, listen, just because that's going on outside these walls, it should never be going on inside these walls. Because back in those days, the, the, the society, the Jewish society then, they believed in something that, that theologians now have called the Deuteronomic ideal. And that's a big fancy word that means this. They believed that if you were poor, if you were disabled, if you had a, a tough situation in your life like that, they believed that that was God's judgment on you. And so they believed you deserved it. If you were poor, it's because God cursed you. If you were rich, it was because God blessed you. And that's what they believed. And so, what, so they would treat people like that. So people would go into the market, and if they were poor, they would be treated one way. If they were rich, they would be treated another way. And this was going on now as people were coming into the church. And James was saying, that should never happen in the church. We should not treat each other that way in the church just because it's going on outside. In verse 4 there, he says, You have not discriminated, have you, excuse me, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See, he said, listen, that might go on outside, but when you do it in here, you're talking about Christian brothers and sisters. You're talking about someone that you have in common that both of you have accepted Jesus and you're trying to live for him and now you're going to treat him differently because he doesn't make as much money as you? You're going to treat him differently because, because he doesn't have the advantages that you have had in your life? And James was saying the thing that you have in common is that you both have Jesus and that should go over everything else that separates you. If it's money that separates you, if it's politics that separates you or whatever it is, Jesus is what brings you together, and that's more important than any of that other stuff. And then he goes on there in verse 4 when he says, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with, say the word with me, evil thoughts? See, this is the thing about when we, when we do this. And James said when, when we judge people like that, it's not, it's not just rude. It's not just impolite. James said it's evil. It goes beyond just bad manners. He said that when we do that, that, that that's, an, that's an evil thing to do, that it, it, it's going away from what Jesus wants us to be doing and how he wants us to be treating people. Then he goes on, look at verses 5 through 7. He says this, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. Now, remember, I'm going to get to verses 6 and 7 in a minute, but remember, let me stop here. Remember back in, in James 1, and, and when we talked to, in James 1, in, in verses 9 through 11 of James 1, it talks in there where, where James said um, the, the, the man in, who is poor should take uh, pride in his high position, and the man who is rich should take pride in his low possession, position. And remember, we talked that what, what God was saying there is that he's not impressed by our money. He's not impressed by the rich guy like we're impressed 
by the rich guy. And he was saying, you know, God was saying, listen, poor or rich is not, not what matters to him. What matters to him is what's going on inside of your heart. And so here in verse 5, when he says, listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised for those who love him? See, what's important to God is not being rich in money, but being rich in faith. And a poor man can be rich in faith, and a rich man can be rich in faith. But what James was saying, that during that day, it seemed like it was easier for the poor man to be rich in faith because the rich man was so distracted by all these other things that he could buy and he could do and power that he could have. Now, I know that's not true anymore, right? See, the thing about us as Americans that we have to understand is, is that we're all pretty rich. None of us want to admit we are, but we are. We can buy stuff. We don't have to. I haven't worried at all this past week of where my food is going to come from. I got all kind of food in my house. And you know what? If I eat all of it, I got a little bit of money in my pocket. I'll go find me something. See, what was happening then is the people who were poor, they were having to depend on God for everything. That every day with God was, a, was just this constant communication and this relationship. And those who were rich, they were so much, it was so much easier for them to stray. And I think we struggle with the same thing. We as Americans, it is so easy for us to be distracted by things other than what God wants us to be paying attention to. Now look at verses 6 and 7. This is something interesting that was happening here. And, and I like what James points out. He says, but you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him, of him to whom you belong? Uh, James basically says to him, listen, you're spending all this time trying to impress people that don't even like you. You're spending all this time trying to impress people that every opportunity they, they get, they're trying to take what little bit you have left. But the thing that we have to remember over all of that is, is that God's not impressed with the people we're impressed with. You know, that, we think that that doesn't happen in the church anymore, but it still does. And um, I served uh, for 10 years before we started this church. I served for 10 years as youth pastor at another church here in the area. And there was a, there was a man in our church, he was a good man, he was a, a good friend of mine at that time. And uh, he, was, he was notorious for coming up to me and uh, now nobody else knows he was. And if you ask me, if you, if you know that church and you come ask me who this was after the service, I'm not going to tell you. But uh, he would come up to me. Sometimes we'd have a family visit our church that had a couple of teenagers. And so I was a youth pastor. And he was notorious for coming up to me and saying, hey, hey, if you could go by and see them this week, they would be, a, you know, like they had visited. They weren't part of our church. If you go by and see them this week, they would be a really good family for our church. And every, every family that he told me about would be a good family for our church, they all had this in common. The dad had a great job, made plenty of money. The mother had a great job, made plenty of money, or either she chose to stay at home. Their kids had not been in any trouble. Kids were leaders at their high school, you know, stars of football teams, cheerleaders, honor roll, you know, top of the class kind of people. And he would, and, and this man had a good heart, and he didn't even realize what he was doing it. But what he was saying to me was, those are good people. We want the good people in our church. 
And never once, when we would have a family visit where the kid had been kicked out of school, the dad had been laid off, it was a single mom trying to raise a couple kids on her own, never once did they come up to me and say, hey, if you'd go visit them, they would be a good family for our church. There's also used to be, and, and I guess it still is, there was a, 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 a youth organization that was not of a church, but it was a Christian youth organization that would go and they'd set up clubs in different high schools and stuff. And, um, and I talked to a leader of, of that group back when I was first out of college and was saying, hey, how do, what do y'all do? How do y'all try to reach teenagers and that kind of stuff? And he said, well, what we do is we want to go into the school and we try to reach the popular kids first. He said, because here's the deal. If you reach the popular kids, everyone else wants to be like them and they'll follow them. And I thought to my, and this, I'm not lying. And I thought to myself, that sounds like the exact opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus came and he hung out with the people that nobody wanted to be with. He came and he hung out with the lepers who had been cast out of society. People were afraid to be around them. They were afraid if they got sneezed on by them, they were going to get a disease. He hung out with the, with the prostitutes and the, and the women who were living a life that they should never live. He hung out with the poor people. And he told stories about how the kingdom of God was going to be about bringing all those folks in. And how the people who thought they had it all together were going to be cast out. And so it can still go on in the church today if we're not careful. We can find ourselves judging people. And wanting to impress the person who's got a lot of money. Wanting to impress the guy who, you know, we're trying to pay off a piece of land. And after we do that, we're going to need a whole lot more money than we've ever had to pay off this land to do something else, whether it's build a building or whatever. And it would be so easy for me to think, I need to spend all my time with the people in our church who have the most money. I need to go out in the, in the community. I need to find some rich people and I need to get them excited about what's going on in our church and I need to spend a lot of time with them. And if I did that, I would be what James calls, I would be a judge with evil thoughts. I'd be showing favoritism based on things that God is not impressed by. Now here's, here's the, the second thing and why this thing really gets, why we really shouldn't judge. We're going to get real serious about it right now. And the second thing, if you're taking notes, is this. We aren't the judge. We are the accused. We aren't the judge. We are the accused. See, we like to, to play like we're the judge. But in fact, we don't sit in the judge's seat. We sit in the seat of the guy who's on trial. James said this in verses 8 through 10 of chapter 2. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Now listen to this verse right here. Verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Now, let's stop and figure out what James is saying here. You're thinking, because maybe you're thinking, okay, I think I heard what that said, but I don't know if I want to believe it. Because it sounds like right there, this is what it sounds like. It sounds like James was saying, listen, if you do one thing wrong, then it's the same as doing something else wrong over here. It's, it sounds like he was saying that, that if, if you tell a lie, that 
in God's eyes, it's the same as committing murder. Now, that can't, that can't be right, is it? I mean, God doesn't think like that. God thinks like we do, doesn't he? Because here's how we think about sin, and, and we all think about it this way. The way we think about sin is, is, is we, we create levels of sin. You see, you've got really, really big sins, and that's the top level. Things like murdering people and, and molesting children. I mean, that, that's like the worst thing ever, and, and that's, that's the worst sin. And then we've got down here, way down at the bottom, we've got little sins that we do every day that we think, oh, that's not that big of a deal, like being selfish and lying. And you're like, Cliff, I don't lie. If I, if I asked you right now, hey, or if I said, God, I want you to strike dead everyone in here who has lied, at some point in their life, we'd all be out of here. We've all told a lie at some point. And the funny thing is, if someone commits a murder, what do we call them? We call them a murderer. If somebody tells one lie, what do we call them? We don't call them a liar. Because we have created levels of sin. We've got lying and selfishness and stuff that, that the Bible says is sin that we just totally ignore, like gluttony. Hand me that other piece of pie as I'm reading the scripture about gluttony. That's the way, that's the way we do. And then there's, then there's whole things, of areas of sin that, that, that the Bible talks about that our whole society ignores. Like all, sexual sin is all messed up in our society. Yeah, you can have sex before you're married because the Bible's old-fashioned. That's no big deal. Because we have created levels of sin. But what the scripture says is that if you keep the whole law and stumble at one point that you're guilty of breaking all of it. Look, look at what he goes on to say in verse 11. He makes it even clearer. For he who said, and he's talking about this, he's talking about this is the guy who gave the law, which is who? God. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. See, we judge people because we've created these levels of sin. And so it's easy for us to look at the sin of someone else and think, ah, that's a lot worse than what i got going on. That's a lot worse than anything I've ever been a part of. But when we create these levels of sin, what we're really doing is deceiving ourselves. Because what we do when we, we look at someone else and, and we think they're worse off than me, but, but we're, we're deceiving ourselves because we've got the same problem. Because it says in verse 11, if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker because the, the reality is, is that all sin is rebellion against God. All of it is. All sin is rebellion against God. The small one is rebellion against God. The big one is rebellion against God. Because what it is is that God has given us a way to live. He's made it very clear He's written it down for us in Scripture. Jesus came to earth and lived on this earth for 33 years, showing us how it's supposed to be. And what we do is that we look at it and we say, I can read that, I can see how Jesus lived, but I choose to do something else, and that is rebellion. It's just like if you're a parent or if you're not a parent, uh, just remember how you were when you were a teenager. Or if you're a teenager now, just look at your, what you did in the last six months. And what you do is, as a, as a teenager, you start to get a little older, and you start to feel like you got a little freedom. And yeah, I know that my parents have told me not to do this, but I'm going to choose to do what I want to do. And what that is, is rebellion. And that's what we do to God. As God says, this is how you should live. 
This is the, this is, I've, I've made it very clear. This is what will best put you in a position to understand who God is, to allow him to work in your life. But we say, I'm not doing it. And we say we're not doing it, and then we don't even want to admit that that is sin. It's rejecting his way of living. Now, let me be very clear about something. All sin is equal in the eyes of God. But there are different consequences of sin. If I tell a lie, it's going to hurt someone's feelings and it's going to break the trust that I have with them. If I murder someone, they're never going to breathe again and it's going to disrupt their whole family's life. So the consequences on this earth are different. But don't miss this. The consequences eternally are exactly the same. Telling a lie will separate you from Jesus and make you spend an eternity separated from him in hell just the same as committing murder does because it's all rebellion against God. Remember in James 1.15 when we, when we were going through James 1 when he talked about the consequence of, of sin, he said it was death. See, the reason that, reason that none of us can judge someone else is is because we're all guilty. James made it real clear. We don't, none of us can sit in the judge's seat because we're all, we, we're all guilty. Paul said it this way in Romans 2, chapter 1. Look at this on the screen. He said, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. That's about as clear as it can be. Paul just says there, listen, you... You can't be judging somebody else because you've done it. The thing about, the thing that, that I think is, is so damaging to us personally when we judge other people is that it really brings out the worst of who we are. Because what we're doing when we judge someone else is that we're pushing them down so that we can be lifted up. Because we don't, we don't like something about us. And so when we judge someone else, we're pushing them down so that we can be lifted up. And, and it makes us feel better about who we are. And, and, and it, we're trying to elevate ourselves by stepping on other people. Jeff Foxworthy, um, who's a funny comedian, and um, his brother is on staff here, Donnie Kaufman, his twin brother. Now, people always, people always accuse Donnie of sounding like Jeff Foxworthy. I don't think he sounds that much like him myself, but... But Donnie is working on growing a really thick mustache, so he'll look like Jeff Foxworthy. Um, but Je I heard Jeff Foxworthy one time say, and he was, he was you know, joking, and he said, he said, if you want to feel better about, if you're worried about your family being really rednecky, he said, go to the infield of a NASCAR race. He said, then you'll look around and go, man, we ain't that bad off, right? You know, and, and that's kind of, that's, that's a funny thing, but that's kind of how we, how we act because we, we get worried about how we are when we'll look at someone else and we can immediately make ourselves feel better. Well, I'm a little overweight, but I'm not as fat as her. Or my kids got problems, but their kid just got arrested. Whatever it might be. And so what we do is when we do that, we, what, we're, we're pushing other people down to try to elevate ourselves, but here's the reality. The reality is we're no different. We're still the same. Just because I look at somebody else and I think, well, my kid's not as screwed up as their kids, that doesn't mean my kid's still not screwed up. 
Because I haven't done anything to make that situation better. All I've done is made myself feel better by comparing me to someone else. And so we're being delusional about it. Mark Lowry, who's a Christian comedian, uh, and he also wrote Mary Did You Know, by the way, the Christmas song that most of y'all have heard. Uh, I heard him, he uh, said this recently, I think, or, or if he didn't say it recently, I just heard about it recently. You know, there's the old saying in, in church, we talk about, um, you know, love the sinner and hate the sin. Mark Lowry said, he said, you know, we talk about love the sinner and hate the sin. He said, I've got enough sin of my own. He said, how about love the sinner and hate your own sin? Because what we do is we get all into, well, what somebody else is doing, and they're doing this. But the last two verses of this passage we're going to read today in James, it tells us about something that we can do instead of judging. See, there is a better way to live. There's a better way to live. And James talks about it here in verses 12 and 13. He says this. So instead of judging people, what are we supposed to do? Well, he says this, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See, that's that last statement, those four words, mercy triumphs over judgment, that is a miracle. That is a legit miracle of God. And that's one of the reasons why James was so aggravated with the church because he was saying to them, listen, you have been given the mercy of God. Jesus has poured out his mercy on you and yet you want to treat people when they come into your church poorly because they don't have a lot of money. And he said, that is a travesty for that to be happening because we have been given mercy by God. See, we all deserve punishment. We're the ones being accused, remember? We're not the judges. I deserve to be punished for all the sins that I've committed, all the sins I'm going to commit, the sins that you'll never know about that just happened here in my brain, the sins that only my family knows about that you're never going to find out about, and I deserve to be punished for that. But here's the thing. Instead of punishment, I've been given mercy by Jesus, not because I deserve it, but because Jesus died on the cross, and we can freely accept that, and that is a miracle. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And what James is telling us there is, if you've been given mercy, then you should give mercy. You haven't been, you haven't been given judgment, so why are you giving judgment? He said, if you've been given mercy, give mercy. Jesus told a whole story about this. When you get home, write in your notes Matthew 18. Just write that in your notes. And when you get home, I want you to read Matthew 18. And there's a story in Matthew 18. Jesus tells this whole story about an unmerciful servant where there's a guy that he owes somebody a bunch of money and he goes and he begs, please forgive me. I, I can't pay this back. And the guy he owes all the money to says, I've forgiven your debt. You don't have to pay it back. And then he immediately walks out the door, finds somebody that owes him just a little bit of money and says, give me my money or I'm going to have you thrown in jail. And Jesus says, that should never take place. And we should all be so aware of the mercy that God has poured out on us that we should be afraid, not just afraid, but appalled that we would ever want to judge somebody. We talk here at this church about loving people. We talk about div 
growing toward Christ and developing real relationships and loving people. Let me tell you something. If we want to get serious about loving people, showing them mercy is a great place to start. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, Cliff. Man, people are sinners. If we, if we show them mercy instead of judgment, aren't they going to go on living that sinful lifestyle and aren't they going to think that, that we're a, a proven of their sin? Listen, choosing mercy instead of judgment isn't ignoring their sin. It's choosing to let God deal with their sin because he's the only one that can deal with it anyway. He's the only one that can judge somebody's sinful lifestyle. We can't do that. But what we can do is we can show mercy to them. We can show them the love of Jesus, which is unconditional, and then they will begin to see what is going on in their life. Is it right? They'll begin to see their need for Jesus. Now, make no mistake about it. Sinners will be judged. The Bible talks about it from beginning to end. There's judgment for sin. And those who die without Jesus are going to face judgment for that sin. But the great victory of Jesus is that by trusting him, sinners are spared what they deserve. Sinners like me, sinners like you, are spared the judgment they deserve because of Jesus. Now I want to tell you three, what I think, are going to be three benefits for you if you choose mercy over judgment. If you, if you choose, and you walk out of here today and you say, you know what, I want to start, I want to live the better life that James talks about. I want to, I want to start being merciful to people instead of judgmental to people, and, and that's what I, the way I want to live. Let me tell you three benefits you're going to experience almost immediately when you begin to show mercy, choose mercy, instead of showing judgment. First one is this. We will have a greater desire to see people come to know Jesus. See, when we judge people all the time, sometimes I think we don't really want to see them come to know Jesus. We want to see them get what they deserve. None of us would stand up and say, yeah, I want to see my lost guy that I work with, I want to see him burn in hell for eternity. We wouldn't say that, but that's the way we live when we think, I hate it that he lives that way and nothing ever happens to him. And I'm trying to follow Jesus and I don't have any money and it's tough and I'm being good all the time. I want to go out and get drunk on Friday night, but I don't do it. He does it. Nothing happens to him. <laughs> I think sometimes we want the bad stuff to happen to these folks that don't know Jesus. But when we begin to show mercy we'll begin to see something change in our hearts and now we, our desire is not for them to be punished, but our desire is for them to know Jesus. Second thing, if we choose mercy over judgment, we will begin taking our sin seriously. See, when you're so worried about what the guy you're working with is doing, that means you're ignoring something that's going on inside of your heart. And when we begin to show mercy to people, then we're going to begin to take our sin seriously. And then the last thing, we will experience more joy. We'll experience more joy. I'm not talking about happiness now. Happiness is different than joy. Joy is when you have the joy of Jesus in the midst of whatever is going on in your life. And when you 
show mercy to people because what happens is when you show mercy to people, then you're reminded of the mercy God has given you. When you show mercy to people, then you're reminded of your own sin and how you don't deserve that mercy. And so when you show mercy to people, the natural result of that is you, you're going to be thinking, you're going to have joy because you're going to be thinking, man, look at what I get to do. I don't deserve this, but God has given it to me. Jesus has given me mercy and now I get to show it to somebody else and you're going to experience joy like you've never experienced before. If you're miserable all the time, if just ask whoever is around you all the time and ask them to be honest. Say, do I complain all the time? And if they say yes, start showing mercy to people because we're tired of hearing you complain, all right? And we want you to experience joy. If you're angry all the time, I mean, some of you just, I know, I know that you do. You live angry. And if you're angry all the time, begin to show mercy to people. Show mercy to the people that God's put in your life. You'll begin to see that anger go away, and you'll begin to have more joy. It's not a magical formula, but it's just, it's, it's just natural. It's going to happen. Now, this is what I want us to do to, to, to close up. I want you to imagine with me if we all did that. If every single person here, every... Every kid that goes to school tomorrow, whatever, whatever, middle school, high school, elementary school you go to, every adult that goes to work, wherever that might be, when you go to Walmart and Target and downtown Greer and downtown Greenville and to your favorite restaurant, imagine what will happen if all of us choose to be believers of Jesus who show mercy. And we, we get rid of judgment. We allow God to do the judging. And we choose, you know what, instead of judging my neighbor, I'm going to show mercy to my neighbor. Instead of judging my boss, I'm going to show mercy to my boss. Instead of judging my wife, I'm going to show mercy to my wife. Instead of judging my husband, I'm going to show mercy to my husband. Now imagine what would happen in this community if an army of people this size went out of here showing mercy, I think we would be amazed at what God would do. I want all of you to stand up, if you will. Now, I'm about to ask you, I'm about to, ask you to do something that might make you feel uncomfortable. And I'm excited about that. Um, I stood up here before you and I told you that I have a judging problem. If you would admit, and don't, don't do this just to make me happy, because God's going to know your line, and he'll give you a stomach virus later on. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. God doesn't normally operate that way. But if you would admit today, if you would say, you know what, Cliff? I got a judging problem too. I judge people regularly. If you would just raise your hand just for a moment and leave it up. All right. Now I want you to look around. See who all the judges are in here. No, I want you to look around and see that you're not alone. All right, you can drop your hands now. So this is what I want us to do. I want us to pray today for us as a church. And I want us to, as we pray, I want us to, I want us to pray for each other. That we would we'd leave this lifestyle of judging people behind. And we'd pick up mercy.
And we just walk around giving out mercy like crazy. We can do it, not because it's in us, but because Christ is in us. Let me pray. Father God, God, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by the fact that you look at my sinful life. You look at my sinful attitudes and you choose not to judge, but you choose to give me mercy. I deserve judgment. But you give me mercy because of what Jesus did on the cross. And God, I pray that I would give that mercy freely to everyone I come in contact with. God, I pray for us that everybody in this room, that we would give that mercy freely this week. We would trust in you to make that happen in our lives. Thank you. Doesn't seem like enough to just to say thank you for what you did for us. But that's all we can do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That when, the, when my time on this earth is over, that I will not be condemned to hell for my sin, but that I will spend eternity in heaven because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.